Today's episode is presented by Clark's. Clark's' story began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. At the time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that's remained at the heart of what Clark's does. From the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what set Clark's apart. We are teaming up with Clark's and Podgo to bring you up to 30% off on select items, including on the iconic Clark's Desert Boot by going to podgo.co slash Clark's. That's podgo.co slash Clark's. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. I am your host, sports editor of the Hickory Daily Record in North Carolina, Josh McKinney. Got another great show on tap for you today, the final Wednesday in February, our fourth Black History Month Spotlight segment, and we're going to be talking about a female this week. We've talked about Jackie Robinson, Bill Russell, and Arthur Ashe over the past three weeks for Black History Month. Today, talking about a female who made a huge impact, not only in athletics, but for African-American culture in sports. That's coming up in the first segment of the show, right off the bat. Then, I'm going to be joined by Kenneth Cotterell, a fellow podcaster who I have shouted out before his great podcast, the Shooter Shoot Basketball Podcast. We talked all about the NBA, some of the top teams in the league right now in both the Eastern and Western Conferences. Some of Kenneth's favorites to win MVP as of right now. Some of the standout rookies. All that and more coming up in Call of the Bullpen. And then he stuck around, joined me for Happily Ever Drafter, as we each drafted our top NBA trios of all time. That's coming up. And then we'll end the show today with a podcast shout-out. That's coming up later on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Let's get to that opening segment, the Black History Month Spotlight. All right, so our final Black History Month spotlight of 2021 is here, and I've been giving some love to some great male athletes over the past three weeks. I decided it was time to give a very special lady some love for what she accomplished, not only in athletics, but also outside of it. Today, I'm going to be talking about Alice Coachman. Now, I was not familiar with this lady before I did some research, came across her, and I want to tell you a little bit about her. Alice Coachman. She was born on November 9th, 1923 in Albany, Georgia, and she later became the first African-American woman to win an Olympic gold medal in 1948. Growing up, Coachman was the fifth of ten children, and she was raised in the segregated South where opportunities to compete or even to train for organized sporting events were pretty much non-existent. Coachman spent much of her childhood running barefoot in fields and on dirt roads and using old homemade equipment to practice the high jump. This would come in very handy later, as you'll see, but she also had it doubly tough, not only being a person of color, but being a woman. Anyway, she was later discovered and mentored by the boys track coach at Albany's Madison High School, and she ended up transferring eventually to Tuskegee Institute in Alabama after earning a scholarship due to her athletic prowess. 
Now, prior to enrolling at that institute, Coachman actually broke the then high school and college high jump records during the AAU National Championships. And get this, she did that barefoot. Yes, she grew up, as I said, running barefoot on dirt roads and in fields and ended up breaking those records barefoot. That's crazy. Coachman continued to excel in track and field in the years that followed and dominating AAU events before attending Albany State College beginning in 1946. She went on to win national championships in the 50 and 100 meter races as well as in the 400 meter relay and the high jump. Unfortunately, Coachman was unable to compete in the Olympics in both 1940 and 1944. As World War II was going on, the Olympics were not held either of those years. She finally got her chance, as I stated earlier, in 1948 during the London Olympics, earning a gold medal for the United States in the high jump with a then record mark of 5 feet and 6 and 1 eighth inches, despite dealing with an injured back. Now, although that was pretty much the end of Coachman's athletic pursuits, she certainly lived a full life. She actually lived to be 90 years old. Uh, After finishing her college degree there at Albany State College, she became the first African-American to earn an endorsement deal when Coca-Cola signed her in 1952. And she later established the Alice Coachman Track and Field Foundation, which helps support younger athletes and provide assistance to retired Olympic veterans. Not only that, but in her hometown of Albany, Georgia, a street named Alice Avenue and a school named Coachman Elementary were named in her honor. And she was inducted into nine different halls of fame. Today, you know, a lot of the great Olympic athletes are black women something that would not have been possible without the contributions of someone like an Alice Coachman. So thank you, Alice, for what you did. Late in life, she was quoted as saying the following, I think I opened the gate for all of them. Whether they think that or not, they should be grateful to someone in the black race who was able to do these things. You're absolutely right. So a full life lived by Miss Alice Coachman. She is our final Black History Month Spotlight Athlete for 2021. I think this was an awesome segment that I've done over the past four weeks. And I look to bring it back next year in February and continue to recognize what these great African-American athletes have done. Because as you've seen, all of them did such amazing things, whether it be on the field, on the court wherever they competed athletically, but were so important to African-American culture and helping to desegregate things. And folks, we've still got a long way to go. We have come a long way. There's still so much more to accomplish. But thanks to all of the athletes that I spotlighted here in February, and of course, Miss Alice Coachman, as I said, thank you for all that you did, both in track and field and just in life outside of athletics. That's going to do it for the Black History Month Spotlight. Now, I'm very pleased to be joined in the next segment by Kenneth Cotterell. As I said, fellow podcaster, we had a great conversation this past Saturday afternoon about all kinds of NBA topics, and you're going to enjoy this. Kenneth is a Canadian, and he is very knowledgeable about the NBA and basketball in general and and sports, really. But his podcast really centers mostly on basketball. You'll hear more about it here in just a moment and more from him. I'm very pleased, as I said, to be joined by Kenneth Cotterell 
Here comes our interview from this past Saturday in Call to the Bullpen. Well, uh, I am now joined by Kenneth Cotterell uh, here on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Kenneth, how you doing today, man? I'm doing really well, Josh. Uh, it's a little bit snowy up here in Canada, but uh, outside of that, I'm doing really well. I hear you. Well, the first thing I want to talk about is I was obviously on a Shoot or Shoot podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, if you could just tell the listener, you know, where they can find that, how often you do it, what you do on there. Yeah, definitely. So uh, my podcast, the Shooter Shoot Basketball Podcast, we put out episodes every Monday at 8 uh, Eastern time in the morning there. Just mostly talk about basketball. We do touch on some other sports like some NFL if it's happening, kind of just depending on what the season is. But uh, yeah, myself and my producer, Andrew, we've been doing episodes for quite a while now and just about to hit 60 episodes coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So Incredibly excited. You can find it on all social platforms. You can follow me on Twitter and all platforms at shooters underscore pod as well. So yeah, really looking forward to today. Should be a great episode. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know your podcast uh, is a part of a uh, the Blue Collar Media Group, which I believe you're one of the, the main people behind that website. And you've got a lot of great content on there. So talk about Blue Collar Media Group and how that came about. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I met uh, Paul and, and Steve a number of uh, months ago. Actually, we're coming up on a year now. And uh, we, we were all podcasters. We really loved what we were doing. And we wanted to put together a site, not just sports related. We've started dipping into the pop culture side as well. And, uh, you know, we've got over a dozen podcasts. We've got dozens of writers at the site. We've got a stream team that we've just put together on the video gaming side as well. And so we're really expanding when it comes to Blue Collar Media Group. We're just excited now that we have live sports again. It was tough. We started back in March of last year when we didn't have anything really going on and we were still seeing growth at that site. We've all landed a, a number of big high profile interviews. I had JJ Reddick on my show back in July. Uh, we had my producer, Andrew, actually had Max Griffin from the UFC on his show. And we've had shout outs from people from like LeVar Ball to Elgin Baylor to a bunch of big high profile people. So we're really excited with what we've got going on over at Blue Collar Media Group. Websites www.bluecollarmg.com for those that are listening. Very nice. Well, I want to talk about your kind of background and how you got interested in NBA, how long you've been watching the NBA. I've honestly been watching probably the first game that I remember watching was back in 2000. It was the Lakers versus the Trailblazers back when they came back in that series. And, you know, it's always stuck with me since then. I'm, I'm a big Laker fan. I have been my whole life. Overall, I mean, I started the podcast two years ago just because I love the sport of basketball so much. And so uh, I got into it with a friend of mine. And then, you know, since uh, he started his own show and now uh, I'm doing my own along with my producers. So I, I just love the NBA as a whole. I'm a big college basketball guy, too. I just love basketball all around. I played it my whole life as well. So that's kind of how I got into the sport as a whole. Yeah, uh, obviously we do an audio-only podcast, so people can't see you're wearing some Duke merchandise, so I'm definitely a big fan of Duke as well. Been a tough season this year, a little different than we're used to. I know as we're doing this podcast, a big game with Virginia coming up, so by the time this one comes out, we'll have the result of that, but a huge game for Duke tonight uh, against Virginia. 
Um, I want to talk about, you know, and obviously I remember those Lakers series with the Trailblazers very well and against the Sacramento Kings back around that time period as well, or some big series I remember. I want to talk about the NBA All-Star starters that were revealed out in the East. You've got Giannis, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Joel Embiid. And then in the West, Steph Curry, uh, Luka, Kawhi, LeBron, and uh, Nikola Jokic. So uh, what were your thoughts on the starters? Was there anybody you think maybe got left off? I mean, I I view the the all-star starters a little bit differently than other people do. I think nine out of the ten starters they got correct. Um, I think the Eastern Conference, they nailed it as a whole. Bradley Beal got snubbed last year despite the numbers that he put up. I find that when you get the coaches doing it, they look at, well, who are the teams that are winning? And obviously Beal has not been on a winning franchise the last couple of years. So it was good to see him get the nod at the starter spot. And then, I mean, Embiid, Giannis, Durant, and Kyrie, I thought that those were all pretty much locks out in the Eastern Conference. Zach Levine maybe could have got in over Kyrie, but I'm not going to split hairs. I think Kyrie deserves it. When we get out west, LeBron, Kawhi, and Jokic, I thought that was a lock in the front court. And then a lot of people talked about Steph, Luka, and Lillard, who would be the two that get in. Luka obviously got the nod over Lillard. And, you know, I think Lillard should have gotten the start, but... At the end of the day, I, don't, I think people put a little bit too much weight in who gets snubbed when it comes to the starting side. I care more so who gets snubbed when it comes to actually making the team. Because, I mean, if Lillard, for whatever reason, I don't think it'll happen, didn't get in, then you would have some gripes and concerns and it would be completely valid. But at the end of your career, people aren't going to talk about, well, how many all-star games did you start in your career? They're just going to talk about, well, how many did you make? And so Lillard will be on that team. I think he'll see a lot of minutes in that game, given the way that he's played. So I think he got snubbed as a starter, but I mean, he's going to be an all-star this year and that's ultimately what matters. Yeah, I've never really thought about that. You don't really uh, hear about whether a guy started an all-star game. It's just how many they went to. So uh, that makes a lot of sense for sure. And I think we're in complete agreement about, uh, you know, I definitely think they nailed 9 out of 10 for sure. But, yeah, Dame's definitely going to be in that game, pretty sure. I think they're announcing those on Tuesday, uh, the rosters. And uh, so uh, by Wednesday when the show comes out, we'll know. But can't see that happening. That would be a huge snub if he did. <laughs> um so you mentioned the name of Joel Embiid. Uh guy dropped a 50-piece last night uh, with, uh, I think he had like 17 rebounds, a lot of assists and blocks. Uh, one of two players actually to drop 50 with Jamal Murray in Denver. But uh, Embiid, uh, man, talk about that uh, performance he had last night. I mean, it, it was spectacular. They were taking on the Bulls, and unfortunately, Chicago just still hasn't been able to figure it out outside of Zach Levine. He had 35-5 and five last night, so he was really solid for them. But, I mean, Joel, you've seen the impact that he's had on that team. I know we're going to talk about NBA or MVP considerations later on here, but you look at when he's been out of the lineup, Philly has struggled. And when he's playing, I mean, he's he's been playing at a dominant level. He's shooting the ball really well. The 50 and 17 that he had last night was just crazy. And the fact that they won that game, they were only seven of 21 from three in that game. And it didn't really matter because Joel just seemed to dominate uh, overall. So incredibly impressive performance by him. I think it's just helping boost his profile when it comes to the MVP consideration. Yeah, and right now uh, the Sixers currently holding on that number one spot in the East, just over the Brooklyn Nets. Do you think uh, this Philly team can can hold them off? I mean, it is a tough matchup if if you're Brooklyn because because of Joel. 
I look at guys like Tobias and Simmons, and it seems like they have guys that can cover them. But what's the answer going to be come playoff time? I know DeAndre Jordan is hurt right now, so he should be returning by then. Spencer Dinwiddie hopefully will be returning by the playoffs as well for Brooklyn. But, I mean, it, it's a tough matchup if they do ultimately face off in the playoffs. I think other teams in the East, I think Milwaukee would match up better with the 76ers. I think even Indiana would even Boston, they have multiple bigs that they could throw his way. But if we did see a 76ers and net series, I think it'd be really close because I don't know how you, how you stop Joel with the lack of centers that they have. Yeah. And uh, I do want to talk about those Brooklyn nets. Obviously they have a, uh, and we'll get into more NBA trios later in the show, but uh, their big three there of Harden, Irving and Durant. I'm not a massive fan of any of those three, to be honest, but I do think they're all incredibly talented players and uh, was wondering how it was going to work out with them. It seems like uh, Harden has become the de facto point guard there with Kyrie playing off the ball and then uh, Durant just uh, being, uh, you know, obviously one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen. Uh, Your thoughts on that team so far? I mean, I didn't like when they made the trade, not because I didn't think Harden would be a great addition, but I felt like they gave up so much size. I'm a huge fan of Jared Allen. I thought that he would play valuable minutes for them in the postseason. The East tends to have a lot of talented bigs. And so when you're just relying on DeAndre Jordan, who is getting older and he's injured right now, we don't know if he's going to be ready for playoffs. Then what are you going to see in their rotations? Are they going to have to move Kevin Durant down and start covering some of these centers? So I think that's tough. But when you've got three all NBA caliber players on the same team, defense is going to suffer at the start. We've seen that so far with Brooklyn, but I think they're going to figure it out. I don't have any doubts that that this team has the talent and they have the coaching. I like Steve Nash and I like the coaching staff over there to figure out uh, how to play all together. Yeah, they've definitely got a great coach in Steve Nash his first year uh, to try to pull all those personalities together and, and put everything together with that team. I want to talk about then uh, the Boston Celtics. They're currently number four, just behind the Bucks, and uh, right around 500. So uh, kind of been up and down a little bit. A very talented young team still, uh, and Brad Stevens, a great young mind. You think this uh, Boston team will turn around and be a be another force in the East this year? I think they can definitely turn it around. I think the the last week or two they they've struggled. Um, They had Kemba come back into the lineup. They also struggled with Jason Tatum getting COVID at the start of the year. And so they haven't really been playing all three together at any point. Um, They've also missed Marcus Smart dearly. I think the role that he plays on that team is incredibly important. He's a guy that gets overlooked, but he does all the little things that they need. He takes that charge when you need it. He hits the three when you need it. He maybe makes the pass that you need. He flops when you need it. (laughs) We know that, but I think ultimately Boston just needs to get healthy. And I know that they're currently sitting kind of in the middle of the middle of the East, but they have the talent. We know that Tatum and Brown are going to be the one, two punch. Kemba's going to add 20 probably at the point guard position as well. So I'm not too worried about Boston. I know a lot of Boston fans are worried about how they're playing, but until we see them at full strength again, I'm I'm not, I'm not going to say that Boston can't contend in the East because we saw them go to the Eastern conference finals last year ultimately losing to Miami, but I'm not too worried about Boston moving forward. Yeah, uh, I'll say I'm a huge fan of uh, Jason Tatum, former uh, Duke guy. Uh, Where do you think he ranks in the uh, player rankings in the NBA at this point? 
that's a tough one. I think I think he's just outside the top ten, but I think it's really close. And I think we're gonna see over the next couple of years that he's gonna move in as as some of these guys get older. I mean, we are gonna see LeBron is gonna start to deteriorate. I mean, we keep talking about father time and, oh, LeBron's defeating it. But ultimately, he's going to get to a point where he's going to start declining. Kawhi's going to get up there in age. KD as well. He's had major injuries in his career. So I'd have him just outside of the top 10 right now. I said during that draft process that I thought Tatum should go number one in the draft. They went with Fultz and Ball. And as a Laker fan, it really pained me when they went with Lonzo over Jason Tatum. Not just because I didn't like Lonzo that much, but because being a big Duke guy. I saw what he did in college. The fact that he could isolate and hit the mid-range jumpers, the step backs, he could drive to the rim. Just everything on paper looked to me like he was a superstar talent, and he's starting to prove it now. He had a great postseason last year, and uh, as I said, he had COVID at the start of the year. So he's just starting to get back into the flow of things. I think by the time we're towards the end of the year, we're going to see him really ascend in the NBA. Yeah, and I was, I'm with you. Uh, obviously, watching Duke, I saw him and thought he had superstar-type talent at the next level, and he's very much on his way there. A team that has really turned it around from the, where they were earlier in the year and uh, currently at 500 is the Toronto Raptors, who the last couple of years, obviously, won a championship. And then uh, a great year last year, I think, surprised a lot of people after they lost Kawhi to uh, to get as far as they did. Uh, but it, it really started to turn it around, and obviously they've got Nick Nurse, there, who is one of the best head coaches in the league, I think most people would say. So uh, your thoughts on Toronto and them starting to kind of turn things around? I think Toronto, I, I didn't love their offseason. I, I did like that they extended Van Vliet. I thought it was for a bit too much money, but he's proven me wrong this year with his play. Kyle Lowry's getting up there in age. And the fact that they let Ibaka and uh, Gasol walk, I mean, Gasol hasn't been great in L.A., but Ibaka still had a lot to bring to the table. And then they didn't really address those needs in the front court. I know they brought in Baines and Len. But what's really helped them, I think, is the emergence of Chris Boucher this year. I mean, he's up there in the top five in blocks in the league right now, I believe. He's getting rebounds for them. He's he's playing that role that Ibaka used to play. He's not the shooter that Ibaka was, but he can definitely get to the rim and score at a high level. Pascal Siakam, he's not what Toronto thought he was going to be. Um, I think Masai really thought that he was going to take the next step this year. Um, he's missed a number of game winners, but he hasn't he hasn't been a terrible player in the NBA like people make him out to be on Twitter. Yes, does he spin move a little bit too much? Yes, but I mean, he's just going to add to his game. He's only been playing the sport for <laughs> it's under 10 years that he's been playing the game of basketball. So he's only going to get better. This Toronto team's just going to be a tough out for anyone. OG Ananobi's been out, Kyle Lowry's been out, and they're still in the Eastern Conference playoff race. So I'm looking at Toronto as being a potential four to six seed in the conference. So if you're that team like an Indiana or a Boston matching up against them, that's not going to be a fun series. They're going to wear you down. Nick Nurse really has them buying into his system. And so I like Toronto moving forward. Um, They may be going into a rebuild pretty soon here because I don't really see Kyle Lowry returning next year, given his age. But for now, I mean, I really like what I'm seeing from this team. Yeah, and a couple spots below them right now are my Charlotte Hornets. The big story there is obviously uh, LaMelo Ball, the rookie, who I think is the front runner for rookie of the year right now for sure. Your thoughts on him and the Hornets uh, right now? 
I'm a big fan of what Charlotte's doing there. Um, I know over the last 10 games that they're six and four. So they're, they're playing good basketball. Gordon Hayward, a lot of people talked about how much he got paid in the offseason. I wasn't a fan of the size of the contract, but then I looked at the overall team makeup, a lot of young players. So you could afford to, to pay for a guy like that. You have to when you're in Charlotte. You see it in Toronto. You see it in all these smaller markets you have to overpay to get talent like that but he's proven me wrong he's played very well this year he's over a 20 point score Um, I like what I've seen from Lamelo Ball Bridges has played really well for them as well and then Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham giving you that one-two punch at the point guard sometimes one of them's playing at shooting guard as well I think overall this team is pretty solid I'm not sure if they're going to get into the playoffs quite yet Um, I know that they're currently holding down the eight spot but teams behind them like Miami and Atlanta, I just see a little bit more, little bit more talent, a little bit more veteran leadership there, which I think could help them uh, move up in the standings. But I mean, Charlotte's got a great future. Even, even if they do finish ninth or 10th in the East, I think they've got a lot of great years to come. And uh, I, I think it would almost be better if they did miss the playoffs, go and get a lottery pick and just add to that young core that they've got going there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned the Miami Heat. I know uh, on your show we talked a little bit about them, I believe, and uh, we kind of thought they would turn things around. They were off to a slow start, but this is a team that was playing as late as anybody, made it to the finals, and so a quick turnaround to get back to the season, I think that had a lot to do with it. I think they, again, are a, a very well-coached team. Uh, actually, uh, when we did a ranking of the top head coaches in the NBA, I said that uh, Eric Spolster would be my number one pick if I was starting a team right now to be my coach. So your thoughts on uh, the Miami Heat? I would agree with you on Spolster there because a lot of people would say, what, you wouldn't take Popovich? Well, Popovich might only be coaching for a couple more years. So if you're looking for a guy to be your head coach for the next 10 years, Eric Spolster would probably be number one on my list as well. People will point to, well, but he only won titles because he had LeBron and Wade. Well, he also took teams to the playoffs that probably shouldn't have gone as far as they did. We saw it last year in the finals. I think they surprised the heck out of everyone in the world when they went to the NBA finals. I think it's just a testament to his coaching. I mean, Miami's just got to get healthy. Like they, they finally have Butler back. They've got Bam playing pretty well. Teams have figured out how to cover Duncan Robinson now, which has been tough, but I think he's still super young. He just, him and Tyler Hero, they just need more reps. I think they're going to become very talented players in the NBA. We haven't seen Goran Dragic, who was a huge piece of that run last year. Avery Bradley's been out as well. He was a notable guy that they brought in in the offseason. So I'm not too worried about Miami. I I think they're probably going to finish in that six to eight range in the conference because they've fallen a little bit too far behind. But I mean, they're another team. They're like Toronto. I wouldn't want to see them in a first round series if I'm a Brooklyn or I'm a I'm a Milwaukee or a team like that. You don't want to go up against a team that buys into that heat culture that they talk about all the time that Pat Riley and Eric Spolster have put together. So I like Miami moving forward. I think they're still a really talented team. Yeah, and before we get to some of the Western Conference teams, I know this year they're doing the uh, play-in tournament, which they introduced in the uh, bubble last year, uh, where basically the the 7 and 8 seeds play each other and the 9 and 10 seeds. So it's the winner of the 9 and 10 against the loser of the 7 and 8 to determine that final uh, playoff spot. Uh, what do you think of that whole uh, situation there? 
I, I do think it's a little bit of a money grab, if I'm being honest, from the NBA's perspective to, to have those playing games. I like the playing games for the bubble. It made the most sense to me because why would you send 13 Western Conference teams to the bubble just to then, oh, well, you're the nine seed. Okay, well, you're going home. I've always been a firm believer in, well, if you get in, you get in. And, you know, if you come up a game short, well, then you probably should have won one of those close games and then you'd be playing in the postseason. Overall, I think in the West, it's probably it probably matters a little bit more because to me, no matter who gets the eighth spot in the East, you're not beating Philly, you're not beating the Bucks, you're not beating the Nets, depending who finishes first. Whereas, you know, maybe you get a Utah who's currently sitting first in the West, they're sitting at the one spot, but then you get the Mavericks at eight. And then I'd be really concerned if you have to go up against Luka Doncic or the Warriors sitting at eight and you got to take on Steph in a seven game series. So I think it matters more for the Western Conference more than anything else. So in the West, you mentioned them, the Utah Jazz are currently number one. Your thoughts on uh, the Utah Jazz? Uh, do you see them uh, holding on to this hot start they're on 24 and six? I don't know if they're going to stay at number one necessarily in the conference. I mean, the Lakers losing Anthony Davis for what looks to be at least a month is going to weigh on them. But I, I do like the Clippers depth. So I do think that if a team were to track them down at the one seed, it would be would be the Clippers that beat them. But I mean, they split. So it, it's not like these teams are are not close. Utah, they're on a tear. I think last year in the bubble, if they had Bogdanovich, I really think that they would have beat Denver in that first series, and then they could have given a team like the Clippers the run that they deserved. But now that they have him back, they've got Jordan Clarkson playing at a six-man-of-the-year level. You've got Donovan Mitchell, who's continuing to get better. Rudy Gobert is that anchor that they have down low. I mean, I really like this team. And then you got Joe Ingles as well, who can play an important role for them. So I like the depth of Utah. I don't know if I like that Donovan Mitchell is my best player. I think he I think he deserved the money that he got, given that it's Utah and that we talked about it. They have to overpay for players, but they don't have that LeBron. They don't have that Kawhi. They don't have that Kevin Durant that you need, I think, to win a championship. So can Utah win the conference and be the one seed? Yes. But I would be worried about them in come playoff time because I think other teams with star players like a Luca, like a Steph, could potentially knock them off because they they don't quite have that guy. Yeah, uh, I can see that for sure. I'm a big Donovan Mitchell fan, but uh, can also see that could catch up to him come playoff time. You're uh, a big Lakers fan, as you said, and obviously without AD right now, uh, they're uh, sitting at uh, 22 and eight. Your thoughts on them so far and some of the offseason moves they made? I really like the offseason for L.A. Gasol coming in, I mean, he hasn't played great, but I think you could really use him in a playoff series that can match up with the Gobert, that could match up against Serge, <laughs> funny enough, with the Clippers. Um, I love Dennis Schroeder at the point. I'm glad they got rid of Rondo. I know that he had a great postseason, but regular season Rondo is not good. He's showing that in Atlanta this year. Montrez Harrell, you just added more depth and, and size, which I think is is what LA's strength is. I mean, you can run a lineup with LeBron, AD, and, and Harrell, and I mean, I don't know any team in the league that could really match up defensively with, with a matchup like that. But, I mean, we talked about it. AD, he went down, so he's going to be out at least a month. Um, I heard that he was hurting prior to that, so I, I questioned a little bit why they had him playing. LA, to me, is a team they coast through the regular season. 
You've still got LeBron James, one of the greatest players of all time. And then you've got Anthony Davis, who's a top 10 player. And then you throw in all this depth that they added. KCP has played really well as well. So I'm not too worried about the Lakers until you can beat LeBron in a seven game series in your conference. I mean, I'm going to always roll with them, not just because I'm a Laker fan, but because history has proven that he, he wins the conference pretty much every time. Yeah, and you mentioned the word coast. I know that even his some of his Cavaliers teams were, were known for coasting through the regular season, and they get to the playoffs and turn it on and end up in the finals again every year. So uh, unless something, you know, heaven forbid, was to happen to LeBron, which he's remained healthy to this point in his career for this many years, I mean, uh, I think they're going to be fine. The other L.A. team, we talk about the playoffs. There's been this talk of, like, playoff P for Paul George, which is not a good uh, thing. Uh, do you think he can get over that, or do you think they need another piece? What's the what's the problem for the Clippers? I think he's going to get over it. I think he talked a lot about how he had some mental health struggles when he's in the bubble, which is fair given that they were isolated from their families. It was a tough environment to play in. And yes, he did struggle. But I mean, let's not forget that the Clippers were up 3-1 on Denver. They were very close to playing the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And just due to the the lack of play from Paul George and then Kawhi in Game 7 as well struggled. I mean, they were still very close to being in, in that conference finals. So I'm not too worried about the Clippers. I like the additions that they had. Luke Kennard is a great shooter. Duke guy that they added from Detroit. I thought that that was a steal of a trade for Detroit to give up such a young and talented piece like that. And then you've got Serge Ibaka as, as an addition as well. I know they lost Harrell, but Lou Williams is still playing at a very high level. I see a lot of depth with this team. Um, I'm not a big Doc Rivers guy, but he is, a, he is a good head coach in the NBA. So I think, or sorry, they don't have Doc now. They've got uh, Ty Lue, but Ty Lue's won a championship. So, I mean, at least he has championship experience. So um, when I'm looking at the Clippers, I, I think this is still a very good basketball team. They're probably going to be the one or two seed in the West now. And uh, that's not a team that I would want to play in the playoffs once again. So, Yeah, I have to remind myself Doc Rivers is in Philly now. I, <laughs> I forget about that all the time. Um, Portland and Phoenix, both at 18 and 10. Uh, I want to talk about that second team, Phoenix, which uh, – overcame a, a big deficit in the fourth against the Pelicans uh, on Friday and uh, Chris Paul with a big game there. Uh, I really like the addition of him. I think he's always been in a way underrated, even though he's always been to me, he's one of the best pure point guards, the best pure point guard probably in the game. As far as you know, he's not a guy who has to have the ball in his hands and taking a big shot. He's, he's very willing to pass it as evidence in the last game. So your thoughts on them bringing in Chris Paul and this team as a whole. Yeah, I talked about this team on my show last week and I, and I really like I really like their players probably through their their seventh guy. Um I like DeAndre Ayton. He was 16 and 16 last night. Um so he's playing at a very high level and he's shooting it efficiently. Um Kale Bridges is a solid guy. He he struggled a little bit last night but still a talented piece. We talk about Chris Paul and Devin Booker, the one-two punch that they have. Booker's stats have gone down, and a lot of people will point to that and say, oh, well, is Devin Booker taking a step back? No, he just has to do less than what he did before. Chris Paul with 15 and 19 last night. I mean, yeah, he, he's, a, he's a pure passing point guard, and you'll look at the 15 points and say, well, did he really impact the game that much? Well, he had 19 assists, so yes, he did. You don't have to score 20 points to be efficient in the NBA and to play a huge role. 
And then Jay Crowder was a great addition and Cameron Johnson, who they drafted as well last year. So I like them through the first six or seven guys that they have. My question will be, will they have the depth in the postseason if you run into that game where maybe Chris Paul's in foul trouble or Devin Booker's in foul trouble? Can they overcome that to win a game? So that would be my only concern with Phoenix. But I I love the rotation that they have right now. They've been healthy pretty much the entire year. So that's another plus for them. That's why they're sitting fifth in the West right now. The complete opposite of a team like Portland, who's had Nurkic and McCollum down for most of the year and Lillard has just shined. So I like the Phoenix Suns. I would actually love to see a Phoenix versus Portland first round series. I hope that we get that because I think Lillard versus Chris Paul would just be a great matchup to watch. Yeah, for sure. Big fan of both of those guys and have been for a long time. Let's talk about the uh, Golden State Warriors then, 16 and 14, sitting number eight, and you kind of alluded to it earlier. That's a, that's a really dangerous eight seed if they were to stay there. You know, Twitter really loved trolling them at the start of the year when Kelly Oubre couldn't make a shot, and they were like 0-3, but they had played like Milwaukee and Brooklyn and like just really good teams, and you had to add all these new pieces to the roster. So I really like Golden State. James Wiseman, a notable rookie, he's been out hurt and they've still been playing well. We've seen that Draymond Green is that glue guy. The second he came back, the defense was a lot stronger. Um, He may not impact the game. He's like a Marcus Smart. The stat sheet won't blow you away, but what he does for that team is, is so valuable. And then Steph Curry, he's playing at an MVP type level. If the team was a little bit higher in the standings, I think he'd be getting the love that a Damian Lillard is getting. So, I mean, I'd be terrified if you get Golden State at one or at the eight seed because Steve Kerr knows what it takes to get it done. And uh, they don't even have Clay Thompson this year and they're still impressing the heck out of me. Yeah, and you never know when Steph's going to go off and drop 40 or 50 and, and beat you. So that's not easy at all. You mentioned him as a potential MVP candidate. Who are some of your favorites so far for that the MVP? I've kind of got four guys that I think have the potential to win MVP this year. I thought going into the year, a guy like Luca would be in consideration, but I'm just not seeing it from the efficiency standpoint that I am from the four guys I'll name. So Joel Embiid, number one team in the Eastern Conference. He's a 30-11-3 guy and he's shooting 54% at the center position. I think he's second in the league in scoring. When he's out of the lineup, Philly really struggles, and when he's playing, they win games. So I think that really helps his case. I've got LeBron there as well. 26-8-8, it's almost like a down year for LeBron, but he's shooting 51%. Now that Anthony Davis has gone down, we're going to see him really take over this team and try and carry them to a top three spot in the West. And I think if he does that, then you don't have the, what happens is when Steph and KD were together, well, neither can win MVP because the other guy takes away from them too much. Well, if they continue to be dominant in the West without AD, then he's going to get a lot of love. Damian Lillard, he's been the ultimate clutch guy in the NBA this year. He's a 29-7-4 guy. He's shooting 45%, but 38% from three is a very high clip given the amount that he shoots. And I'm just a huge fan of him. With no Nurkic and McCollum and you're sitting fourth in the West when you've got all those teams behind you with more pieces than Nuggets, the Warriors, the Spurs, Phoenix, and you're sitting four, that's really impressive. If he keeps that up, he'll be in consideration. And then Nikola Jokic, 27-11-8. He's shooting 57% and 40% from three. 
So at the center position, he's shooting the three better than Damian Lillard is, <laughs> which is just, it's crazy to think about. And he's got Denver now up to the sixth spot. They struggled at the start of the year, and he's kind of just been dragging them, <laughs> dragging them to that spot. So those would be the four that I would have in consideration when it comes to MVP. I don't think Brooklyn will have one. Um, I think people are a bit tired of Giannis winning MVP as well. And they're 17 and 13, which is a down year for Milwaukee because I think they only lost like 20 games all of last year. So they'll point to that. And then out West, Kawhi and Paul George will just take away from each other too much to really be considered for MVP. I think that's a good list for sure. You've mentioned some rookies we've talked about earlier in the show, LaMelo and, and James Wiseman. I know who's been injured, but some of the other rookies that stand out to you, I know one I, I want to talk about is Tyrese Halliburton of Sacramento. I know he was on a recent edition of Old Man in the Three with uh, J.J. Redick and Tommy Alter. Uh, seems like a real nice guy and uh, certainly uh, nice stats for, for a player. So thoughts on him and any other rookies that stand out? I mean, Halliburton, to me, he's just been incredible given he's not even starting right now in Sacramento. He's a 12-5-3 guy, which it's like, oh, well, that's it. Well, he's a guard shooting 49%. Like, that's nuts. And he's shooting 44% from three, so probably one of the highest in the entire league as a rookie. You don't typically see that from rookies where they're that efficient right out of the gate. You look at guys ahead of him that got drafted like Anthony Edwards, He's got similar scoring numbers. He definitely doesn't have the shooting efficiency that a guy like Halliburton does. So, I mean, Edwards is making big plays. We saw him absolutely dunk on the Raptors last night, but people don't talk about the fact he was also like three of 14 for the game shooting. So outside of that one play, he was pretty much a liability for Minnesota last night. We've seen guys like Emmanuel quickly with New York. He's kind of shot onto the scene. He's been given the opportunity. He's a Kentucky guy. Um, I think he's someone who could have benefited from the NCAA tournament, but because it didn't happen last year, his draft stock just, there wasn't enough on film for him to really be considered in the top tier of prospects. Cole Anthony looked really good, which pains me to say, cause he's a UNC guy, but I mean, he looked really good. Unfortunately, he just fractured a rib a number of games ago. So he's not going to be back until the second half of the year, but he's impressed me in the minutes that he's played. And then Peyton Pritchard in Boston, He's another guy where at Oregon, he looked like a walking bucket and then tournament doesn't happen. So then people just look at his age and think, well, maybe we'll go with the younger guy. Well, Pritchard has proven that he's an NBA caliber player and he will be for years to come. So I don't think this is the top level rookie talent that we've seen of years past, but do I see 20 rotational guys and a couple potential superstars in this draft? Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's talk about uh, your favorites to win the NBA title. I know you're a Lakers fan, and, and, and certainly uh, they're the defending champs. Uh, like you said, Miami came out of nowhere last year uh, to get to the finals, pushed the Lakers to six games. But uh, a lot of people are obviously on the Brooklyn Nets bandwagon in the East. You know, I would love to see Philly get there. But uh, who are your favorites in both conferences? I think I'll, I'll start out West because I, I, I am going to say the Lakers. I know that they're my team and we talked about AD missing time, but this is a stronger rotation than the team that won the title last year. People love to make fun of Alex Caruso all the time, but he plays valuable minutes. He's a great defender at the guard position. I think that's incredibly important for them. And then you've got your Schroeder, Harrell, KCP, and then your studs in AD and LeBron. I think until until someone proves that they can beat them out West, I, I have to go with them as the favorites. 
Um, I think the Clippers give them the best potential run. I think we got robbed of that last year. So I think we could have seen a really good series between the two of those teams. Um, I just don't think Denver has enough. Like I love Jokic, but Jamal Murray, I know we had 54 last night, but then the next game, he only has 12 or 15. So they really need that second guy. I think that's what the Clippers and LA have that other teams out West don't is that second superstar, not all-star superstar. When it comes to the East, I've, I've got to go with Brooklyn. Milwaukee hasn't proven it to me in the playoffs over the last number of years. They've been the one seed and then they lose to the Raptors and then they lose to Miami. So until they get it done, I did like the addition of Drew Holiday, but until I see it, I, I can't go with Milwaukee. And, and I mean, Philly still worries me a little bit. I know that they have Simmons, Tobias, and Embiid, but after that, will they get enough from Seth Curry? Will they get enough from Tyrese Maxey? So that's why I would have to go with Brooklyn. You've got three all NBA caliber guys on the same team. You've got Joe Harris playing at a high level. And then you get DeAndre Jordan and Spencer Dinwiddie back potentially for playoffs, the defense, they're going to figure it out, but they just have so much talent that I would find it tough to, to beat that team in a seven game series, because any given night, you could have the three of those guys combined for 80, 90 points in the playoffs. And then you just need another 20 from the rest of your team. So that's, what's going to be tough about beating them in the East. Yeah. Uh, I hope you're wrong. Uh, and that they don't <laughs> make it. Cause I would like to see anybody else, but them, uh, I like to pull. I for agree. The, the I agree. I would, I would hate to see it. Uh, it's going to be hard to, uh, to beat them for sure in, in a seven game series without a doubt. Um, and I know Brooklyn's been one of the places that, uh, has been talked about as far as maybe JJ Reddick going there in a trade or going, uh, to the Knicks. I know, uh, been a couple of teams that he's named just cause he lives in Brooklyn, but, uh, your thoughts, I know we talked about it a little bit on the show before on your show, uh, where we thought JJ Reddick might go. I said, I would love to see him return to Philly, but, uh, are there any teams that stick out to you right now? I mean, I still don't understand if you're the Pelicans, why you want to trade JJ. I know that you're probably not in win now mode, but when are you going to be in win now mode? Because you've got almost no veterans on this team. No one that can teach these young guys like Zion and Brandon Ingram, who we both love as players, given that they're Duke guys and they're also uh, all-star potential and superstar potential, I think, if you're Zion. But I look at this team and it's like, so if you trade JJ, who's going to teach them how to win? Is it going to be Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe? I don't think it is. The most veteran guy on this team is JJ. So unless you're trading him and getting a veteran guy back, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I think you should be rolling with it. I don't think the Pelicans are that far off from making the playoffs this year. If you look overall, they're three and a half games back of the eight seed, but there's also the play-in game, which they're only a game and a half back of that. So I think if you're looking at a team like the Pelicans, I don't know why, why you're giving up on this year and just trading JJ. I think trading Lonzo makes sense while he still has some trade value because you really don't need him moving forward. But you got to keep JJ, in my opinion. Van Gundy also, he, he's kind of that glue guy, I think, in the locker room between the players and the coach. So I think that would be a bad move. But if you're going to, I'd be looking at Dallas and Milwaukee. Dallas giving up Seth Curry was a huge one for them. Uh, they need a shooter. They need that third score. I know Tim Hardaway is there, but Porzingis and Doncic need more help. And I think if you could get JJ giving you 12 to 15 off the bench, that would be huge for them. And I think that would ultimately catapult them into the playoff hunt. And then if you're Milwaukee, just add another shooter. 
you're going for it right now. Everyone knows that you're going for it right now. And so why wouldn't you jump at the opportunity to go after JJ? Are you going to squander Giannis's prime by not trying to add a guy? So those would be the two teams that I would keep an eye on. Yeah, Milwaukee's certainly in a whole different spot than they were the last time JJ was there for about a half a season. So uh, I'm sure that wouldn't be as bad of a move for him, even though I know he's wanting to be closer to home, it seems like, if he does get traded. Um, I think he enjoys being with the Pelicans and, uh, you know, he's obviously played for Stan Van Gundy before and I too can't understand why they would want to get rid of him. Uh, I know I'm a little close to the situation and being my favorite player, but, um, he's just a great veteran presence in the locker room and he can still shoot the ball. He's not going to forget how to do that, even though he was struggling at the beginning of the season has kind of turned it around a little bit now in the minutes that he's gotten. Hated to see him get some DNPs there, uh, for about three games. But uh, happy to see what he's doing. And, you know, he and everybody else involved has talked really highly of Zion Williamson and and the person he is, as well as the player, obviously, uh, just over 50 games into his career. And uh, this guy is just kind of on another level. Uh, Your thoughts on Zion? I mean, he's just an incredible talent. We've never seen a player like him. And I know people say that sometimes, and it's like, well, you can make it a a comparison for him. The closest thing you could compare to Zion would be Charles Barkley in his prime. And Barkley doesn't have nearly the hops that Zion does. So to be a guy that size, to be able to, he can shoot the ball, not incredibly, but, but he can shoot it. And I think that's what keeps defenses honest against him. Um, if he couldn't shoot, then they would just, you know, take a step back and say, all right, well, try and beat me to the rim and I've got an extra step on you. So I really like what I've seen from Zion. He's just an example of a young player that needs to be taught how to win. I I compare him a lot to Trey Young in that aspect. Um, I, I see hella potential for both of them, but they just, they just need more time. I mean, we forget that these guys are like 20 years old, 21 years old, like they're going to figure it out. They've got so many years to figure it out. We've rarely seen a player that young come in and light it up. Luca would probably be the only example, but he's also probably got more talent around him than those two guys do right now. So I'm really impressed by Zion. I think he's got an incredibly bright future. He could he could probably lose a little bit of weight just for longevity's sake, but I think his size is also a huge asset for him. Yeah, there's really nobody that's going to stop him on the inside when he decides he wants to go to the basket. It's just amazing. And I think he's going to continue to get better with his, his free throw shooting and his outside shot as well. Uh, he can knock those down, but uh, he's be a little more consistent moving forward, I think. I want to move into a segment we call Happily Ever Drafter. Today, you know, we've been talking about a little bit about NBA trios because we we mentioned the one in Brooklyn, obviously, with Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. Uh, So we're each going to be drafting five uh, NBA trios. If somebody's listening for the first time, I I always give my guests the first pick, and then we trade two picks apiece until the last pick, which I'll be getting since we're doing five apiece. So, uh, yeah, we're going to draft NBA trios all time. And, and Kenneth, you've got the first pick, like I said. So uh, who do you got? So at the first pick, this this is a tough one, actually, because I think you could go many different ways with it. I'm going to go the all-around route, which is the Jordan, Pippen, Rodman trio. The big reason why is defensively that trio is probably the best. If you look at any trio of all time, they all play their roles well. Jordan's the scorer, Pippen's the passer, and Rodman is the rebounder, and then they all defend really well. So 
while there may be a little bit more talent, I think if we're looking at a trio, those three mesh the best together, which is why I'm rolling with them. Yeah, that would have been my pick uh, if you had not gotten them. Um, So uh, I am going to go, uh, since I got the next two, uh, I'll go first with Magic Kareem and James Worthy from the Lakers. Three championships, seven finals appearances during their time together there in the 80s. So uh, just a phenomenal trio. And then uh, after that, I'm going to go to their biggest rival, the Boston Celtics, and take uh, Bird, McHale, and Parrish uh, from throughout the 80s and early 90s. Three championships for them as well and, and five finals appearances. So uh, I'll go with uh, two, both sides of that rivalry there. You've got the next two. I will say I actually had those two. Um, on my list, um, the Lakers one, yeah, that would have been my pick if I was at number two. I'm going to go probably the more current route. I'm going to go the KD, Curry, and Clay. I think it's just the most lethal scoring trio that we've probably ever seen. Clay just gets a lot of disrespect as a player, I think. Um, everyone just talks about, well, he's just a shooter. He's a system guy. He also defends the best player. He's one of the best two-way players that the NBA has. And it's really sad to see that he's injured once again, because I think we miss out on one of the all-time great two-way players in the NBA. So that would be my pick there. And then it pains me as a Lakers guy, but I'm going to go older. I'm going to go Bill Russell, Bob Cousy, and John Havlicek. Um, They won so many titles together. they, They just get so much disrespect because people talk about, well, they didn't play against anyone. Well, it doesn't matter who they played against. You also have no way of really quantifying that unless you watch them play. So I got to roll with those guys. Um, Russell's one of the best rebounders and defenders the league's ever seen. And Havlicek and Kuzi are just all-time players. So that's going to be my third pick. Yeah, I talked about Bill Russell a couple weeks ago on the Black History uh, Spotlight and uh, just all the things that he contributed both on and off the court. Just uh, one of the greatest winners ever in sports. Uh, 11 championships is insane. Uh, I had definitely both of those uh, on my board to consider. Those guys won, I think, six championships together, those three. And two of them had eight titles and then Russell, like I said, with 11. So I can't argue with either of those uh, two picks. My next two, uh, first of all, I am going to go, I'm going to go next with another Lakers trio, and that's Kobe Shaq and D. Fish from back 96 through 2004, I believe they were together. Three titles, four finals appearances. Man, those if those three would have all you know stuck together, I know Kobe and D. Fish did for a while, but if Shaq and Kobe would have stuck together, who knows how many more they maybe even could have won. But still, that that trio just incredible. Even though I'm not a Lakers fan, uh, I do respect them. Looking back now on what they were able to accomplish there uh, during that time, I was pulling against them a lot of times, and they continued to kind of you know winning three straight there in the late '90s, early 2000s. So I'm gonna go with them uh, just because I don't want you to get them either um, and uh and my next pick i'm going to go this is a less flashy pick but i'm going to go with a spurs trio uh, oh, with uh, tim duncan manu ginobili tony parker they were together i believe about 13 seasons and even though they never won back to back they did win four titles and five finals appearances during their time together so i'll go with that spurs trio next they're just very fundamental and, and fun to watch and I wish that you didn't take that one. Ugh, that that was one that I really wanted. 
I'm probably going to sound like I, I just love all the more current teams, but I'm going to go with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. I think you've got an all-time player, well, two all-time players and an all-time complimentary piece who at one time was a perennial all-star in Chris Bosch. He's another guy that gets disrespected. His years in Toronto, he absolutely carried that franchise. Um, he's a big reason why they were able to build what they did later on because after Vince Carter left, there was a, not a lot of great days in, in Toronto, and he, he helped kind of weather that storm. And then Wade, one of the all-time shooting guards, and LeBron, one of the all-time players. So um, they only won a couple titles together, not the three, four, five, six, seven that they talked about on that stage, but uh, they still won a few titles together. And their losses, I mean, they lost to an all-time Spurs team who you took. So um, I think it's tough to argue that one. And this is where it gets tough. Um, I look at some trios like a trio in Boston of a Garnett Allen and Pierce who only won one title, but overall they were a great trio, but I'm going to go instead. I'm going to go back. I'm going to finally take a Laker trio. I'm going to go Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor, the three of them together. I think you just put those names together and I don't think they had the team success that some of these other teams might've had, but I just look at the three players. Elgin Baylor gets so much disrespect on the all-time list um, as does Wilt at times, because people talk about, well, he only got a couple titles because Bill Russell was shutting him out. Well, he was getting shut out by an all-time center and an all-time center with more help. And then Jerry West, some people call him a point guard, some call him a shooting guard. I call him an all-time guard. So I think that's going to end off my, my list of trios. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm kind of debating in my mind, looking up and down, what I've got left to decide where I want to go with the last pick. And it's either old school or newer school. Um, so I'm going to go, after watching the last dance, seeing how tough this team was for the Bulls to get past, I'm going to go with the Detroit Pistons, uh, Thomas, Dumars, and Lambeer from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. They did win two titles, three finals appearances. And then, of course, the, the Bulls took over there in the uh, mid-90s. Um, so I'm going to go with them. And just beating out uh, the Boston Celtics trio you mentioned of Garnett, Allen, and Pierce. I wanted to go with them, but uh, I went with Detroit just because they won one more title and they were together a little bit longer. So I'll go with uh, Thomas, Dumars, and Lambeer from Detroit. So you would have went with Garnett, Allen, and Pierce if you had one more, right? Yep. If you would have went that and I had one more, I probably would have gone Julius Irving, Moses Malone, and Charles Barkley would have been my would have been my next one. But that's another example of a team where Barkley kind of missed the championship years. So it's tough to you would just be taking the players, not necessarily the trio. So I, I And then Durant, Westbrook, and Harden is one that people might point to as well, but they didn't win a title together. And really, Harden at that time was the sixth man. He wasn't what he ultimately became. So I think overall, two good lists. Yeah, for sure. And another one that I would have picked solely based on the players is uh, Malone, Stockton, and Hornacek. Even though, you know, I think if the Bulls had not existed, they probably have a championship because they lost to them twice in the finals in a row. Uh, and then uh, Frazier, Reed, and Debussier from the uh, Knicks back in the days actually won a couple titles, considered them as well. I think that's pretty much all I had on my list has either been taken or I've just mentioned. But uh, I think we both got some good lists there. 
as always, be putting these on social media, see what people think, and uh, get some feedback on uh, who they think won the draft. So, Kenneth, I want to thank you for coming on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney today. Enjoyed talking NBA and, and doing this draft with you. And uh, before you go, you can plug your uh, social media again and your, your podcast. Thanks, Josh. I really do appreciate you having me on the show. You can find the Shooter Shoot Basketball podcast on all social platforms at shooters underscore pod, as well as on all podcast platforms. We do a live show Sunday night on the Shooter Shoot Basketball podcast Facebook page. That's at eight o'clock Eastern time, typically an hour show. And then the episodes drop the following morning at 8 a.m. Josh, I really do appreciate you having me on. You've been a big fan of mine and vice versa for a long time. And I'm glad that we finally got to sit down and do this. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the support and, and keep up the good work with your show and, and everything over there with Blue Collar. And, uh, man, take care. Take care. All right. Thanks once again to Kenneth Cotterell of the Shooter Shoot Basketball Podcast. Continued success to you, Kenneth. Thanks for joining me on the show. Would love to have you on again. Would love to be on your show again. That was a treat for me a few weeks ago. I have given some shout-outs to Kenneth's show here on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Now, I would like to give a quick podcast shout-out to the Pro Fans Sports Podcast. They were one of my early shout-outs last year, and they're still going strong. Their shows come out on Tuesdays. This trio of guys, John, Barry, and Vladimir, do an awesome job with their show. They talk about all things sports. They love the NFL, they love the NBA, and other sports as well that they discuss on there. They give you a couple hours of great entertainment. They're all from the Boston area, so big-time New England Patriots fans and other Boston sports, of course. I had John on my show last year. Look forward to having him on again at some point. Look forward to having Barry and Vlad on as well. Big fan of their show and what they're doing As always, link in the description. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They have merch at redbubble.com. But like I said, I'll have a link to their podcast in the description on Anchor. And it also includes links to find them on other podcasting platforms as well. ProFan Sports Podcast, they do a great job. Go listen to them. You will not be disappointed. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. Episode 38 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. have truly enjoyed the show today. I hope you have as well. I had a great conversation with Kenneth Cotterell and another fun draft and Happily Ever Drafter. We wrapped up Black History Month and then this podcast shout out. Like I said, check out Pro Fan Sports Podcast. Thanks as always for listening to Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Folks, going to be taking next Wednesday off. Just need a little break. Mentally and physically, I'm kind of been a little worn down as of late. High school sports have really been ramping up. High school football here in North Carolina just kicking off this week. So writing previews for that, getting ready for those games. The high school basketball playoffs has proven to be very busy and tiring. So I just need a week to kind of refresh and relax. But we'll be with you, like I said, in two weeks. We're going to have another entertaining show coming at you. As always, follow me on Twitter at SuperJMac32, like Four Quarters with Josh McKinney on Facebook. I am your host, Josh McKinney, the sports editor of the Hickory Daily Record. Take care, folks, and I'll talk to you in two weeks 
on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney.